previously on Solve the World. Most disturbing was not the Pied Piper showing his face in this dark place in the bowels of the earth. No, it was what was painted above him. Looking down upon the Piper and his legions was a floating, giant ghost, spanning almost the entirety of the sky above the scene. The shape of it was not dissimilar to that of the ghosts from the old Pac-Man games. The ghostly form looked like a gelatinous dress with a face. And the face smiled down upon the Pied Piper. It was God, and he was happy with the work of his son. Whoever the artist was, he envisioned a God that delights in the accomplishment of the Pied Piper and the Piper's Song of Sirens. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Paul finally answers, don't forget butter, I never forget butter. Episode 76, The Guest. bolts out of the elevator. He's running so fast in the dead of night he can't see where he's going. He's bumbling through the dark forest at the fastest speed his little feet can flitter. The cabin door. No time to catch breath. No knocking either. Instead, a yell. Father! Mama! Father! Door swings open. Fodderbeck, the little ruler, stares at the minion. He's not one of Fodder's go-to communicants. This is not normal. He should not be the one conveying messages of any sort. Especially at this hour. Something is wrong. Something has gone wrong. What is it? Is someone hurt? Have one of our councils fallen? No, sir! No, sir! The little thing shrieks between breaths. Then what is it? She's gone, father. She's gone. Who's gone? We dig, we pour, we search. She's not there. She's awake. Go. Tell no one what you've seen. But father! Continue to dump the anesthetic down the depths. Make sure the drudgery, the pit, everything runs as normal. But father! Do as I say. If she's gone, then it's already all over. There's no more moves on the chessboard, is there? This is check. Is it checkmate? What has happened? Mama Beck asks her equal. Leviathan has woken. Leviathan has woken. Leviathan has woken. (laughs) 
Jin stared at the rattling floorboards at her feet. Were they about to give way? Was the earth tired of waiting? Perhaps Merkel's testimony of oncoming war was not one against flesh and blood, but against Mother Earth herself. Was Sheol about to open up for the children of Anmo? Was death's sting coming in the form of this great earthquake? Atticus was the first to realize the truth. He reached out, placing a warning hand on Jen's shoulder. It's not an earthquake. It's not coming from below. Atticus drew his hand up off Jen's hand and pointed toward the center of the rumbling. From a distant angle, the greenhouse. The rumbling began to huddle to a stop. In its place, silence. Children all around the manifold corridors of Anmo held their breath. What happens next? Go. Atticus said. I'll be behind you. Jen sprinted. She arrived at the barricaded entrance to the greenhouse. Under direct orders and supervision, all entrances and exits to the greenhouse had been nailed shut, various furniture and wood planks nailed to keep out any drafts from the large natural cathedral. The greenhouse had been ground zero for the children's rebellion. Stones, lamps, pillows, anything anyone could get their hands on were tossed up at the ceiling. The rafters, everywhere. Amidst the bleak midwinter storms that ever pounded on Mo. That meant that the whole greenhouse now should be just about filled to the brim with snow and ice. The place was utterly, utterly uninhabitable. Yet Jen sensed it under her feet. Vibrations in the floors led her here. Something had come, and it was on the other side of this barricade. Then, the knocking. More like clanging, actually. few older children surrounded Jen now, all of them transfixed by the sound and the gravity of the situation. They got to work, pulling up barbs, planks, scooting away overturned desks. As they got nearer the opening, nearer the revelation, Jen realized something. It's warm outside. It's 35 degrees inside, yet somehow the greenhouse feels like it's warmer. How on earth is it warm in the greenhouse? At last, the doors unhinged carried off their mantle. The greenhouse. There, just a few feet from the door, waiting patiently, on Moe's newest guest. Jennifer Dash, I bid you hello. The thing bent at the knee, tipping his Abraham Lincoln top hat towards her before returning it to his head. 
These words, Jennifer Dash, I bid you hello, in normal times and tides would have been its own revelation to those standing around the scene. This so-called Jessica was the very thing both she and Constable Marshall denied. She's the Jen Dash. In any other circumstance, the children surrounding Jen would have jaws dropped at this revelation. But here, now, those were thoughts that took up too much headspace, at least for this moment. Right now, here, the guest captivated all eyes, all hearts. His features were manly, if not slightly alien. He was handsome in a ruggish sort of way, cleanly shaven, but long, wild black hair matted down by the ten-inch tall top hat. His dress, a formal tuxedo, primmed with cufflinks, a cummerbund, the works. This was the visage, at least from the front. His backside was another story. Beading out of his back, pushed through the hemline and stitching of his wardrobe, were horns. The type you'd see on the backside of Godzilla, or maybe a certain type of turtle. The protrusions were a dark brown at the base, lightning toward the middle, and coal black at the tips. From those tips, smoke. Jen looked around the greenhouse. There was no ice, snow. This guest was radiating warmth. Heat enough for the entire greenhouse cathedral. Warmth enough so that he single-handedly could stand as onmost heat supply. He was the sun. He was the stars. And protruding out of the small of his back, a wide, hard, scaly, brown tail. The end of the tail, which was rounded, hovered mere millimeters above the ground. This man, this thing, this heat miser, had a tail. Who are you? Jen demanded. I am Memnock. I come to you as a diplomat. I've come a long way. Do you have somewhere I can sit? Rest for a moment. The day's journey has been tiresome on my hide. Uh, uh... Uh, of course, Jen said, motioning with her hands to enter into the interior of Anmo. Jen wondered if this was a stupid thing to do, to invite this warmth demon into the guts of Anmo. But what else was there to do? Jen, and frankly everyone else within the eyesight of this thing, got the distinct impression that if this Memnock wanted, at any moment he could destroy all of them. With the flick of his wrist, or tail, and so he walked in. Jen followed five paces behind. The heat radiating off of him was intense. Jen feared getting too close. He might burn her. They walked through a couple of corridors. They passed legions of children, both scared of the monster and enamored, maybe slightly attracted to the warmth of this man, if you could call him a man. They passed Atticus. Memnox strode right by him without as much as a glance. Jen wasn't leading the demon. Did he know where to go? Atticus waited until Memnock passed him, then grabbed Jen by the arm, whispering, Hey, who is this? Memnock. Oh. A few paces forward, Memnock stopped, turned towards Jen. Where are your couches? Uh. Jen paused. There's one in the game room. The game room consisted of a few pinball machines, a table tennis board, a roped area wherein a variety of balls were stored, four electric dart boards, the kind that used plastic-tipped darts, and two couches. 
Under Merkel's rule, this room was seldom used, the numerical cost of using just about anything the room had to offer being far too high. Getting there, Memnock fell onto one of the couches. His tail curved back and around, revealing its bulbous point just behind his left shoulder. The creature pulled out a pack of cigarettes from his front breast coat pocket, touched the end of one of his backside spikes, and sighed with relief as he puffed and poofed his first hit into the room. That's better. Negotiations, I've found, are much more suited for places of comfortability. Please... You sit too. Memnock motioned with his hands for Jen to sit on the couch beside his own. What... Wh- what can I do for you today? Jen asked, playing a role she felt certifiably unprepared to play. Could I perchance bother you for a cup of tea? Jen responded. We don't have warm water. Cold's fine. There was a young boy by Jen's side. She motioned for the boy to fetch the monster's demands. We've been brought together, us. Memnock paused, apparently struggling to find the right word. Us old people. We're staying just up the road. We've become privy to what your master's up to. I have no master, Jen stated defiantly. We all serve someone, sometimes unknowingly. Memnock swallowed the butt of his cigarette, immediately grabbing for a second. Who do you think I serve? Yes, Jenny Dash, the teenager caught between two worlds. Atticus stood in the doorframe. He couldn't help but nod slightly to himself. Say what you will about Jen. She was now, probably always was, a girl driven by forces out of her control. That was also apparent to Atticus now. I've watched you play house. You're entrancing. Really, a performance for the centuries. You know who I am? Fine. Tell me about the two worlds. Yin and yang. Fire and water. Hot and cold. Dichotomies. It's humankind's nature to make the world in binary. Liberal, conservative. Capitalists, communists. Theists, atheists. Parrots, patriots. Quiet, loud. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. I'll say that much. You're balancing these two extremes in either hand, trying to make a scale out of yourself. Which hand to go with? Right or left? Science or religion? Faith or skepticism? Black or white? Mighty tidy lefty loosey. Haven't you ever thought to yourself, maybe neither choice is good? Or decent? Just because one is worse than the other doesn't make one good, does it? The mantra, choose the lesser of two evils as such a human instinct. Do you think the dolphin, when faced with murder by jellyfish or murder by shark, really feels like there's a right answer? I will tell you. She does not. What are the two extremes, the two worlds? The little boy returned with a teacup and saucer. Shaking teacup. Nervous. He tiptoed to Memnock. Thank you, wee one. He said and brushed the boy aside with a hand gesture as he grabbed hold of the saucer. Nonchalantly, he dipped a finger into the cool water. Jen watched as she saw it suddenly come to a boil. Memnock removed his finger and took for himself a satisfied sip. Ah, 
binary codes. Some manuscripts call us the Watchers. Did you know that? No. It's not quite right, but still. I approve of the overall message it conveys. Most of what we do, what I do, is watch. As the world turns. The Piper doesn't watch. He acts. Yes. The Pied Piper of Hamlin. He is not much of a watcher, is he? A doer, that one. A creator. Where is the old lark? Will you call him here? Our negotiation may bear fruit if I can speak directly to him. Jen did her best to think on her toes. She knew so very little about this Memnock. Every bit of information she received needed to be pressed through a filter. Was there a narrative here? Does any statement stand out from the rest? Are there fragments that contradict the narrative? Yes. Memnock says he's a watcher. He acts like he knows our life, our adventures. Yet he doesn't know whether or not I have access to the Piper. Doesn't know where he is. He's a liar, isn't he? Jen shot a look at Atticus, hoping to read his expression. He seemed less dismayed at the monster's monologue than she did. In fact, he looked more at ease now, leaning against the doorpost than he had since coming here. What's going on? Speak with me. I'll relay anything important to him, to the Piper. <laughs> sure you will, darling, sure you will. Shall I tell you what we want? What our compromise is? Yes, please, begin, a stoic-faced Jennifer Dash stated firmly. When the soothsayer kid got the band together, we didn't have much of a plan, just intersect the train of castaways. Take those children, keep them warm. Memnock flexed and pointed at his chest in a self-congratulatory expression. Keep them safe. Jen tried to coyly shoot another glance at Atticus. If these, quote, old people are keeping the banished children safe, then Scout should be alive. Atticus's eyes beamed large. He was following, intently. So that's what we did. The rationale was simple enough. Piper's finally got his endgame in place. Everyone's whispering about Leviathan. Things are moving quickly. Where does that leave us? What's in it for us old folks? You follow? Yes, sir, Jen lied. So, what your little boyfriend suggested, first to that crazy Wendigo, then to Merlin, then lastly, the one you know, Mrs. Moose, is that we create a stopgap, a barricade, something clearly momentary, just so no one gets the wrong idea. Jen dared to butt in. What's the wrong idea? Yin and Yang. Showing our cards. Playing for one side over the other. Which side exactly? The Shining Man. Piper's arch nemesis. If the Pied One is Yin, she's Yang. Oh, right. Ah, uh, go on then. On with the story. It's not a story, young thing. It's an explanation. I'm trusting you. Taking you at your word. You're going to take this to Piper. How else do you think I got here? Good girl. Fair enough. So we get together, the whole crew. It's really something. Haven't seen the like of it since, well, pretty much since the beginning. You got everyone back? Jen was hoping to get a few more names listed on the roster. No, well... You know how it goes. You can never get everyone. 
There's always the sticks in the mud that are just too stubborn to get off their butts. So, who's all with you? You can come and see, whenever you like. We're just up the road. I'll take you there. We've made the place nice. Tell me the offer first, then we can talk vacations. I'm not grunted. <laughs> Probably not thrilled with Jen's executive tone. Your boyfriend's plan was... You keep saying that. You mean Miles? Yeah. The soothsayer. He's not my boyfriend. Tell that to him. What? Don't distract me with your sweaty human romantics. Your boy Miles had the plan that we'd run Elmo on the other side. Every kid that gets kicked out, we keep them safe. Guard them. Save the world. Save the world from whom? Your boss. That's his endgame. He's trying to end the world as fast as possible. Why? Hmm? That's his business, not mine. Why do you want to stop him? In theory, I don't care. He can do whatever he wants. Blow his little flute and make you all walk off a cliff. In theory, I couldn't care less. But you do care. You couldn't care more. If the world ends, what happens to us old folks? Probably nothing good. We'd rather go through the door. What's on the other side of the door? Memnock shrugs. Once upon a time, we were called through. We didn't listen. Why not? We were watchers who did way more than watch. We have forgotten what our part was in the big play. Or at least, that's my recollection. Honestly, I can't remember those times very well. Kinda foggy. Come to think of it, it's all foggy. Memory's such a burn. You were made to watch, but you didn't. You got involved. Memnock took a finger to his nose. Circle gets the square. It was hard to leave what we'd built. All the stuff that was in motion, it's like asking an architect to stop construction as soon as the foundation's built. We wanted to see how everything would end up. And now? You don't care anymore? That's the thing about age, young one. Only with time do you really understand the futility of getting involved. We're back to being watchers now. Each in our own ways. Some more than others. And so you're protecting the end of the world from Piper? He ends it. We're likely to face consequences. From whom? Doesn't matter whom. Or what? That's part of the problem. Can't escape it once it comes. You're saving the orphans to avoid prosecution. That was the initial gambit, yeah. More or less. But now we got wise, right? How? We came up with our little formula. Which is? If the Piper opens the door again, we'll walk through it. And he can have his merry final apocalypse all to himself. What about the kids? The rest of us? Smoking his fourth or fifth cigarette now, Memnock twirls the cig in his mouth, extinguishing it on the base of his tongue. Can we go through the door too? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? What is that supposed to mean? Humans die. That's what they do. You are human. You die. Look at me. I'm not like you.
But you can make an exception, Atticus spoke up from the doorway. And who is this that darkens my counsel? You angels or whatever, if you're so powerful, you can make an exception. Get us through the gates with you. It's really more of a door than a gate, son. Everyone's got their angle. We get one, too. You can't manipulate all this madness around us and just chuck us away like used pawns. But that's what you are. Collectively, as a species. Sure, you're quite valuable. But you mate like buddies and cover up the whole earth. If you're asking me, I'd trade in a few million of you for a few thousand more elephants. Tigers. Name your favorite animal. You outnumber everything. So, your individual value is... not even a bloop on the radar. But we will be. Jen picked up what Atticus was laying down. Huh? Memnot grunted. We will be valuable. The Lonely Plague, the bombs. Our stock is soaring because our brand is more and more limited. No, that's not how it works. Sure it is, Jen said way too adroitly. Soon we'll be the last of our kind. Saving us, taking us with you. That's... Uh, if we're valuable as a species, then bringing us through the door with you has value. Amnok's grimace twists into a sick smile. He pivots and leans back towards the end of the couch, leaning so far he's nearly horizontal. Tell you what, we get the door. I'll personally see to it that you and all the Anmo kids walk through the door. Nice work, youngling. You'll be amazed by what you find on the other side. It's... it's going to be a big party. One for the record books. Jen smiled smugly, content with her negotiating skills. A voice spoke up from over by the pinballs. A small girl none of them had noticed before. What if Pied Piper doesn't do it? He will, Memnock responded. What if he doesn't? He's going to. Yeah, but what if he doesn't? Then we'll go back to how things were long ago. What does that mean? Jen added. It's not something we're excited about, but several of us agree. We'll repeat the formula from the olden days. Which is what? Jen said. Don't you little ones read history books? Come on. Memnock, clearly exasperated, added. In order to maintain the structure, but not weigh in for the other side of the yin-yang, we divide up the nations. Divide them into what? Atticus asked, arms crossed. Precincts, territories, states, provinces, the old guard way. Jen looked at Atticus, sending him a, do you get what this guy is laying down, expression? Atticus responded with more than just an expression. He stated clearly, they'd be our gods, Jen. One god for every nation. Yes. Memnod grinned. It'd be a new challenge. What with all the social media these days. We'd have to be smart about it. Who are you? Jen said, staring at the reclining monster. I've heard... Everything. 
and I say, Standing beside Atticus in the doorway was none other than the Piper himself. He wore a bright, blisteringly bright, red outfit, like something out of the medieval era, with a red soft cap and a blue feather sticking out of the top of it. He looked like a jester in the court of the most extravagant king to ever rule the earth. Good Memnock, you have a deal. This episode, along with every other episode of Solve the World, utilized sound effects and music that are found under Creative Commons licenses. If you want to see full attribution of those sounds and music, go to our show notes page at DanteStack.com. Thanks for listening, guys. See ya.